Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of compartment syndrome, found under the orthopedic section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 21-year-old, previously healthy man presents for evaluation of a painful left leg approximately 5 hours after his leg got caught between closing elevator doors. He did not have pain immediately after the leg trauma. However, he currently has 10 out of 10 pain. Physical exam reveals pain with dorsiflexion of his left foot and tenderness in his calf. Posterior tibial and dorsalis pedis pulses are present bilaterally. The surgical service is consulted immediately for urgent fasciotomy of his left foot. Now let's move on to an introduction of compartment syndrome. Clinically, it is defined as a painful emergency condition that occurs when the tissue pressure inside an anatomical compartment bound by fascia exceeds the perfusion pressure resulting in ischemia and necrosis. With regards to epidemiology, it's important to remember the locations where compartment syndrome may occur. Remember that lower extremity compartment syndrome is more common than upper extremity, and in particular, it may occur in the leg, the forearm, the hand, the foot, or the thigh, and specific risk factors are trauma, anticoagulation therapy, or bleeding disorders. In terms of etiology, The most common cause is a fracture, in particular a tibia fracture, but compartment syndrome may also be caused by soft tissue injury, circumferential burns, crush injuries, constrictive dressings such as splints, casts, or poor surgical positioning, or penetrating wounds. The pathogenesis of compartment syndrome is due to blood flow being blocked when the tissue pressure exceeds the perfusion pressure within a fixed volume compartment. This results in a lack of oxygen and the accumulation of waste products, causing pain and decreased peripheral sensation. This may then lead to irreversible tissue damage occurring between 6 to 8 hours after onset. With regards to prognosis, there is a higher chance of regaining function of the affected limb if a fasciotomy is performed within 12 hours. Now let's move on to the presentation of compartment syndrome. Symptoms may include burning pain out of proportion to the injury, which is the most specific and important symptom, but other symptoms may include pain with active contraction of the compartment, or patients may also have paresthesia or numbness. On physical exam, there may be a firm, swollen, and wooden feeling of the muscles on palpation. The patient may have skin findings such as bullae. There may be decreased vibratory sensation and decreased two-point discrimination. Also, remember that the six Ps of compartment syndrome only manifest in the late stages of the syndrome. These include pallor, pain out of proportion, which is worse with passive stretch, paresthesia, or pins and needles sensation, pulselessness, poikilothermia, and paralysis. With regards to imaging, radiography may be used. It is typically not needed for diagnosing compartment syndrome, but it may be useful for characterizing any trauma such as fractures. Another study that may be performed is compartment pressure measurement. It may be indicated to confirm the diagnosis if clinicians are unable to elicit the symptoms or history. In order to perform the measurement, a transducer is connected to a catheter and it is used to measure the intracompartmental pressure, or ICP. When making the diagnosis, remember that most cases are clinically diagnosed, but they may also be guided by pressure measurement, where compartment syndrome is defined as an absolute ICP greater than 30 millimeters of mercury or a delta pressure, which is the diastolic pressure minus the ICP, that is less than 30 millimeters of mercury. And remember that a normal ICP is zero millimeters of mercury. 
When thinking about the differential, keep in mind cellulitis, where the distinguishing factor would be a normal neurovascular exam, or rhabdomyolysis, where distinguishing factors would be an abnormal laboratory evaluation, which includes creatine phosphokinase, renal function studies, urine myoglobin, and potassium. Now let's discuss the treatment of compartment syndrome. The management should be focused on early decompression, and remember that observation and conservative management are only appropriate if the ICPs are not high. For conservative management, one may place the limb at the level of the heart without elevation. This may be indicated for all patients while they are awaiting diagnosis or decompression. Other conservative treatment options include immediate removal of any wraps, splints, or casts, or immobilization. This is indicated for all patients. The operative treatment of choice is a fasciotomy, which is indicated when the ICP is greater than 30 millimeters of mercury with a lower threshold for compartment syndrome of the hand, or if there is prolonged duration of compartment syndrome of greater than 8 hours. And finally, some complications to keep in mind with regards to compartment syndrome include Volkmann's contracture, which may result in permanent nerve and muscle damage, or acute kidney injury. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to compartment syndrome, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 26-year-old woman is brought to the emergency department after a motor vehicle accident. She is found to have a laceration in the right frontal cranium and a right leg contusion. A CT of the head without contrast does not demonstrate any acute intracranial pathology. Radiography of the chest demonstrates multiple right-sided rib fractures without evidence of hemothorax or pneumothorax. A focused assessment with sonography for trauma examination is unremarkable. She is admitted to the hospital and given intravenous hydromorphone for pain. The following day, the patient develops a tense and swollen right lower extremity along with paresthesias. Pain is elicited with passive stretch of the affected limb. Which of the following laboratory abnormalities may likely be found in this patient? And the answer choices are Choice 1, elevated creatinine Choice 2, hypokalemia Choice 3, hypophosphatemia Choice 4, many red blood cells on urine microscopy And Choice 5, normal aminotransferases The best answer to this question is Choice 1 elevated creatinine. This patient's right lower extremity injury, paresthesias, tense right lower extremity, and pain upon passive flexion of the limb are concerning for acute compartment syndrome, or ACS. ACS can result in rhabdomyolysis, leading to acute kidney injury and an elevated creatinine. ACS describes an increase in pressure within a fascial compartment that contains muscle, vessels, and nerves. Risk factors for developing ACS include fractures, most commonly tibial fractures, burn injury, and crush injury. As the fascial compartment pressure increases, arterial inflow and venous outflow are impaired. Ischemic damage ensues, leading to irreversible muscle necrosis, known as rhabdomyolysis, which causes a release of intracellular muscle compartments into the serum. Myoglobin, released from the damaged myocyte, reaches the kidney and causes acute kidney injury. As nephrons become damaged from rhabdomyolysis, they have impaired excretion of creatinine. Therefore, serum studies will demonstrate elevated creatinine. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 2. Hypokalemia would not be seen in rhabdomyolysis, as muscle tissue necrosis 
it releases stored potassium into the serum, leading to hyperkalemia. Choice 3. Hypophosphatemia would not be seen in rhabdomyolysis. As the muscle tissue necrosis, it releases phosphate into the serum, leading to hyperphosphatemia. Choice 4. Many red blood cells on urine microscopy is not expected in rhabdomyolysis. The urine will test positive for blood due to myoglobin. However, urine microscopy typically demonstrates very few red blood cells. Choice 5. Normal aminotransferases would not be expected in rhabdomyolysis. Skeletal muscle also contains aminotransferase, which is released into the serum with myocyte necrosis. Finally, a bullet summary. Acute compartment syndrome can result in rhabdomyolysis, which can cause acute kidney injury manifested as elevated creatinine. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 35-year-old man is brought to the emergency department after a motor vehicle accident. He was found to have left femoral fracture and a right lower extremity contusion. 30 minutes later, the patient developed numbness in the left lower extremity, as well as a burning pain in the left leg. On physical exam, there is pain with passive stretch at the left bicep femoris muscle, along with tense swelling in the left thigh. Which of the following offers the most favorable prognosis? And the answer choices are, choice one, early fasciotomy. Choice two, early fracture reduction. Choice three, normal extremity temperature on presentation. Choice four, pulse present on presentation. And choice five, sensation present on presentation. The best answer to this question is, choice one, early fasciotomy. This patient's pain with passive stretching of the leg, paresthesias, tense swelling, and recent motor vehicle accident leading to femoral fracture is suggestive of acute compartment syndrome of the posterior thigh compartment. Early fasciotomy offers the most favorable prognosis. Compartment syndrome occurs when there is increased pressure within a group of muscles surrounded by fascia. Increased pressure impairs circulation, leading to tissue injury that may be irreversible if not promptly identified and treated. Patients can present with pain that is out of proportion to the injury, paresthesias, pain with passive flexion of the limb, and tense swelling of the affected limb. Risk factors for developing acute compartment syndrome include significant trauma, such as crush injury and especially long bone fractures, and younger age. The diagnosis is clinically made and often supplemented with measuring compartment pressures with a delta pressure of 30 millimeters mercury or less. Surgical consultation should be immediately obtained for a prompt fasciotomy, which is the treatment of choice. The most important determinant of a poor prognosis is delaying or missing the diagnosis as it runs the risk of requiring limb amputation. Signs and symptoms for acute compartment syndrome are not reliable, and the severity of this illness cannot be confidently assessed by physical exam alone. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice two, early fracture reduction does not address the underlying cause of this patient's new symptoms, which is most consistent with compartment syndrome. If the fracture was not already reduced at the time of presentation, treatment of the compartment syndrome takes priority in order to preserve the limb and prevent rhabdomyolysis. Choice three, normal extremity temperature on presentation does not reliably indicate a favorable prognosis. Patients can initially have a normal extremity temperature and subsequently develop a cool extremity if the diagnosis and appropriate treatment are delayed. Choice four, pulse present on presentation does not reliably indicate a favorable prognosis. Patients can initially have a present pulse and subsequently be pulseless 
if the diagnosis and appropriate treatment are delayed. Choice 5. Sensation present on presentation does not reliably indicate a favorable prognosis. Patients can initially have normal sensation and subsequently develop numbness or paresthesias if the diagnosis and appropriate treatment are delayed. And finally, a bullet summary. Early diagnosis and fasciotomy offer the most favorable prognosis for acute compartment syndrome. That's all for this review about compartment syndrome. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.